0: All right. Well, good morning again. It's Palm Sunday, uh, and it's the day, yeah, Palm Sunday, the day that we enter into Holy Week. And so before we even continue, can we give a round of applause for all the kiddos that came and ushered us into worship? And and what I want the kids to know is that God loves you. And, And all over the Bible, Jesus says that, if you want to enter into the kingdom, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to worship God and, and be like God, you have to love the kiddos. And, and we are, as a church, a family of families. And maybe you don't have kids, and, and there's a story behind that that is painful, and I get that. And, uh, but I hope that you can look around and see the kids in the midst of us, and you can say, you know what? I love, I love the children here. That's, that's my child. It's a village. Uh, especially when we talk about how the scripture speaks about children. Kids were raised with neighbors in the community. And I just want all the kids to know that no matter what, that God loves you. And I hope that the kiddos and the parents could continue to remind them of just that. And so today we enter into the last week of Teach Us to Pray. And it's about the Lord's Prayer. And as we talk about the last part, the final part of the Lord's Prayer, that connects really well with what we would call the triumphal entry. And so going into the text for this morning that you'll see on the screen, or if you have your Bibles, it's in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, There's this word that comes up. It's lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I know that without going into details with the kiddos, we we know what that looks like. And we've experienced that ourselves. We see this on the news, especially with what happened in, in Nashville. And, of course, that's not the first time. It's not the last time. But we see and we recognize evil. And so let me just read to you, and you can read along in Matthew chapter 6, and I'll start from verse 9. The word of the Lord says this, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And here we are this morning, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From the evil one, or other translations, from evil. Uh, evil and evil one is used synonymously oftentimes. And that is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. God, thank you that no matter what, you are God. You are in control. And we see and we recognize evil where it exists. And we speak against it. We know that it's not from you or of you. But even in the midst of it, you're there with us. Side by side, hand in hand, heart to heart, feet to feet. So thank you for walking with us in times of trouble and in need. In your name we pray, amen and amen. As we talk about and as we acknowledge the things that we see on the news. Yes, evil in Nashville. Evil when we even see other parts of the news and social media. And what's interesting about evil is that this word evil uh, gets misunderstood where it's only limited to this spiritual sense. And yes, it's obviously and clearly Uh, a sense of spirituality where there are evil forces. But evil comes in all shapes and sizes, in all different ways. And, And again, we've all experienced and witnessed this. Again, just watching the news, even in our own lives, even locally. Augustine gives us three elements of evil. Oftentimes, no matter how you boil it down, evil is oftentimes boiled down to these three things. One, evil is physical. Evil exists because of free will, like what happened in Nashville, like what happened even on the campus of my alma mater at Seattle Pacific, what happened in elementary schools, what happens, you know, in in the inner streets of Seattle and Los Angeles, the two cities I've been a part of, and and other parts of the nation, evil because of uh, people decide to do evil things to one another, human trafficking, racism, Evil exists because of free will, because of decisions that people make. Evil happens, what Augustine says, because of the metaphysical, or I would say the natural. There's natural disasters, earthquakes, tornadoes that's ripping through the mid- uh, that rip through the Midwest, taking so many lives. Illnesses, mental health. And, and again, I want to de- demythify uh, evil as it pertains to a person. So when, when Augustine and when I talk about evil being part of uh, the natural disasters and even illnesses, it's not saying that that person or that people group living in a particular region experiencing natural disasters are evil. What Augustine and, and what I'm saying is that the act in and of itself, the damage and the hurt that it causes is in and of itself evil. And, and so I remember when I was watching the news Uh, When I was in seminary, I'll date myself a little bit, it's when uh, Hurricane Katrina happened. And I remember watching pastors on TV and on the radio suggesting that the reason why the massive hurricane ripped through the southeast is because of particular lifestyles and mistakes that the people have made. And I just want to speak against that. And I want to say that sometimes evil, yes, it's in the natural disaster because it rips up families and lives and hearts, but it's not because of the people. So evil shows its face because of free will. Evil shows its face through these natural disasters. And lastly, evil exists because of the spiritual battle that we have with Satan, and something that we don't often talk about But it's a reality, especially if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus. That evil happens in all sorts of different ways for all sorts of different reasons. And really, if we want to define evil, evil can be simply defined as this. Evil is just what is contrary to the nature of God. Evil is just the contrary of what is the nature of God. And again, we've all experienced and seen this kind of evil acts, whether it's from the physical, the supernatural, because of natural disasters, we've seen this. And we've experienced this in our own lives. Many of us, we've experienced illnesses. Many of us have been part of natural disasters, spiritual attacks. We've seen, again, human trafficking and poverty and systemic racism happening all over our country. We've seen and experienced evils, these evils, addictions, poverty. And again, evil is not about the person, but it's in the action of what rips apart people's lives and families and hearts. And and what's interesting about the Lord's Prayer is that it ends with, uh, deliver us from evil. The prayer is this, Jesus is saying is, when you pray, And with this idea that you want to speak against the evil, that you believe and you have confidence that whatever evil is happening, that you believe God has the power to deliver you from that. And again, if you're experiencing some kind of evil, again, I want to demythify what evil means. It's not just this scary movie that we see on TV or this, you know, this realm of monsters and devil and satanic. And, and yes, that's intertwined in all of this, but evil can also be very subtle. Evil can be really sneaky. Again, because of free will, because of just the brokenness of how the world works. Yes, because of Satan. Evil is really sneaky. And many of us, we've walked into this door and sitting on the pews. Many of you are watching, and you've experienced your own sense of evil. And again, the definition of evil is just the very thing that is contrary to the nature of God. Are you experiencing hurt? Then you're experiencing evil. Are you experiencing betrayal? Have you seen violence, hatred, gossip? pain in any sort of way. Maybe you're experiencing financial difficulties or uncertainties or anxieties, or you don't know what tomorrow's gonna look like and you're just, you're just trembling out of fear. Evil. Not that you are evil, not that that person is evil, but you're experiencing the very thing that is contrary to how God wants you to feel and experience. If you've ever said to yourself, with a broken heart, or even a hardened heart, if you've ever said to yourself, it's not supposed to be this way, then you've experienced evil, pain. And in the Lord's Prayer, says, God, would you, Jesus says, would you pray? God, would you deliver? I have confidence and faith that you would deliver me from that evil, whatever it is. But what's also interesting, before the Lord's Prayer wraps up with deliver us from evil, it says to pray, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil that we experience. Now, why does Jesus pair those two together? And a good way for us to answer that is to to, to look into Jesus' own life. Now, three chapters before, it talks about Jesus' own temptation. It says that Jesus was was tempted. And the word, the original word temptation or to be tempted, when Jesus was tempted to when he says uh, deliver us from temptation is the same exact word. And so the question is, Jesus, what was your experience of temptation? And if you go back to chapter three, it talks about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness to abandon who God said that God to be. Now remember, Satan goes up to Jesus after 40 days and 40 nights and tempts him with three different things. Satan says, Take this stone and turn it into bread. Essentially, Jesus, God has abandoned you. Your so-called father has left you to die, to starve to death. So take this stone because you have the power to do it. Do something. Turn it into bread so you will not die. God has abandoned you. God has left you. So now you have to fend for yourself. So, this, so Satan tempts him. Temptation is to believe that God has abandoned you. Turn this stone into bread and survive. And Jesus passes that temptation and says, no. And then Satan says, okay, I'll give it another try. Satan says, I'll take you to the temple, to the top of the temple for you to just jump off. And if God actually loves you, God will send his angels down to catch you so harm will not hit you. In other words, trying to cast doubt into Jesus' mind trying to cast this doubt that, oh my gosh, if I jump, if I fall, if something happens to me, will the angels actually catch me? Satan's tactic was to say and to force Jesus to believe, no, of course not. Why? Because God has abandoned you. Well, that didn't work. Do not test your God. It's the same. Finally says, uh, I'll take you up to this hill and you can look all around. You can see all the fancy things, all the big buildings, all the things of the land And Satan says, I will give this to you if you bow down and worship me. And again, it's another temptation of saying, look, Jesus, God has abandoned you. You were starving for 40 days and 40 nights, and you heard nothing. You were in the wilderness. You got nothing to eat. And so, duh, you should turn this stone into bread. You should jump off this pinnacle because, hey, if you really believe what you believe, the angels will will catch you, won't they? You can have everything in this world because why wouldn't you since your God has left you? And again, Jesus passes that test of temptation. And so when we go back to the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus says, When you pray, when you enter prayer, pray that God will deliver you from evil. But as you are going through this evil, here's what your prayer should look like, is that as you're going through evil, that you would believe that God is with you and God is for you. That you wouldn't believe, as, the, as what Satan was trying to convince Jesus of in chapter 3, is that God, would have, God has abandoned you. That God doesn't care about you. That God has left you. That God does not listen to your prayers. That is the temptation that Jesus is saying, do not fall for that. Because it's so easy for us to jump into that, isn't it? Again, whatever evil or whatever form of evil you might be experiencing right now or have experienced, it's easy to fall into the temptation of saying, God, I'm only going through this because you have left me. God, I've, I'm only experiencing this pain, this broken relationship, and this financial difficulty, or this anxiety, or this addiction, or whatever the trauma is. I'm only experiencing this because, God, you are no longer with me. That is the very temptation that Jesus is saying to pray against when you pray, for example, like the Lord's Prayer. For many of us, we're experiencing evil. Evil. For many of us and other, others, we're, we, we see this tunnel of darkness that we are about to go into. And we're afraid. And, and sometimes the biggest fears that we have isn't when we're in the situation of pain and tribulation and hardship. It's, it's when we see it in front of us. And it's when we know that we're going to eventually, one way or another, have to walk through it, but yet not haven't quite yet, that is the scariest and the most uncertain time of our lives. I'll give you a silly example. We'll a couple weeks ago, uh, as many of you know, Marie and I, we went on this baby moon to, to Mexico, and uh, we just kind of lived it up. We treated ourselves to, to tacos and, and fancy meals. And, and this one meal, we had... Uh, We sat down, and, of course, I ordered a steak, because what else do you do, right? And so I ordered a nice, juicy, T-bone steak. And I was eating, and I was biting into it. And somehow the little piece of the bone got into my bite, and I just chomped down on it. And I realized I (laughs) chipped my back tooth on that bone of the steak. And, and I didn't really even feel it till the day after, and, and I was drinking coffee with Maria the next day, and I was like, this is going to sound really silly, but I have a hole in my tooth. And, and she's like, no, no you can kidding be It's food or something. I'm like, okay, I, I'll give it another shot. I'm looking, and I'm feeling around. And I was like, it's def- I, I definitely chipped a tooth. And, and she was like, okay, well, we'll figure it out. When we get home, we'll call the dentist. And I don't know how you feel about the dentist, but I feel some kind of way. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my dentist. In fact, uh, he's, a, he's a friend. In fact, a few years ago, uh, we baptized my dentist and his wife uh, here at church. And so uh, don't worry. I, I love my dentist, Ellie Bay Dental, just shout out. But I had a really hard time to convince myself to call and make an appointment because I knew that after I made the appointment, I'm gonna go into the office and whatever he does, whether he wants to or not, it's gonna hurt. And so I remember Googling, Chipped Tooth, uh, will it require a shot? Okay, because that's the biggest thing I'm afraid of. I, do, I don't know what it is, but I don't like those shots. And many of you can resonate. And so I remember thinking, okay, I'm looking it up and all the answer says yes. Yes, you will. Absolutely. And so I finally, I'm like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to call. Tomorrow passes. Don't call. Because I know what's looming in front of me. And that's the most anxious part of this whole process. And, and then on Thursday, uh, again, for those of you that don't know, Maria is, we're pre- she, I'm not pregnant. She's pregnant. We're both expecting. I've, I've learned to phrase that accurately. She's pregnant. We're expecting. And we went to a birthing class. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot, things I never realized. I learned about the process, and kiddos, if you wanna know where babies come from, ask your parents. And I learned about epidurals, which is essentially a nice way of saying spinal tap. And, and then I left thinking, oh, I'm going to call, I can call the dentist. I can call the dentist. And so literally the next day, I called the dentist, and he's like, come over, come by the next week. I I went. And still, I was very fearful because of the unexpected, because of this dark tunnel, the walkway to the office I'm going to be going to. And I finally go in. I sit down, and the dental assistant, I tell her, I was like, I hate needles. I hate shots. I hate it. Trust me, I would have tattoos all over my body if I didn't like shots. And, or needles. And, and I was like, give it to me straight. Am I going to need a shot? She said, I'm pulling out the needles right now. And I was like, okay, just don't show me. And then finally the dentist comes in and I said, okay, is it going to hurt? Is the shot going to hurt? And he says, "You know, I don't think you're going to need one. I like, oh. So everything ended nice and well, and it was great. Now, I I'm fearful of telling the story because the the point is not that everything, as you pray, because I was praying, that everything turns out uh, with a happily ever after, with a bow tied at the end and everything is great because many times it doesn't. My experience, I happen to just experience I have a good experience. But the point is this fear that we all experience, maybe it's during this time of evil But maybe it's this time where you know it's about to happen. Something hard is about to happen. Maybe it's a decision that you have to make. Maybe it's knowing that the next season of life is going to be very, very challenging. Maybe this broken relationship is going to require a lot of work. Maybe this diagnosis that you received, you're going to enter into this new season of unexpectedness, of uncertainty, but you're going to have to go through it. And as you go through it, the point of the latter part of the Lord's prayer is this. Do not be tempted to believe, not even for a second, that God has abandoned you. God loves you. God is with you. God hears you. And really as we go, even a few chapters after that, we go into Palm Sunday, it's a message of just that, that there is a different way than just simply to be tempted to not believe. Jesus gives an exa- us an example of a better way to live. And again, we call this the triumphal entry. We call this Palm Sunday. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And Jesus enters into Jerusalem knowing exactly what's going to happen a week or so later. He's going to be put to death on a cross on behalf of all humanity because God loves the world. God gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I love this part in, in Matthew chapter 21. Uh, let's start from verse. What, what verse? What have you? Oh, verse seven. The word of the Lord says this. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So, just a little bit of context. Jesus says to his disciples, "Prepare this donkey uh, for uh, I'm going to ride into it on the donkey to go into Jerusalem." And so the disciples were obedient and and did just that. And then as Jesus was sitting on that donkey in verse 8, it says a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees, the palm trees, and spread them on the road. Now you have to understand that there were thousands of people right now in Jerusalem celebrating Passover It was a Jewish holiday, one of the most important Jewish holidays and traditions, where the Jewish people from all over the known world went to Jerusalem, a bit like a pilgrimage, to celebrate Passover. And Passover was the celebration and recognition of what God did while the Jewish people, the Israelites, were in Egypt, how God delivered them from slavery and brought them into the promised land. And so every year there was this Passover celebration in Jerusalem. And so there were thousands of people from all over the known world gathered to celebrate God and what God did. And then the crowds that went ahead that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, I would imagine that people didn't exactly know who Jesus was. All they heard about Jesus was that Jesus healed. Some people did believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Some people, out of all the thousands of people, were just there to say, hey, Jesus, I don't know who you are, but it sounds like you have something to offer. And so they brought palms as Jesus comes in on a donkey, brought palms and put put it on the floor to usher in Jesus. Now, there's a little bit of history behind what the palms mean. There's three background elements that I want you to know. Number one is that the Jewish people at this time were under Roman occupation, meaning Rome had control over the ancient Near East. They were colonized. They were the Jewish people were occupied. They were treated like second-class citizens. They were taxed unfairly. They were oftentimes met with violence. They had to know their place—that Rome was in control and that the Jewish people were not. So Jewish people were under Roman occupation. Second. There was a story of Judas Maccabeus. There was a story that happened 150 years before the time of Jesus. The Jewish people, again, were occupied, this time not by Rome, but by the Syrian Empire. And there was a time where there was a man named Judas Maccabeus who led this Jewish revolt, who was victorious over the Syrian Empire. And from that point on, about 100 years forward, the Jewish community lived in freedom to worship, to be in the temple, to read the scriptures, to be free, not to be occupied. And hence, Judas Maccabeus had a nickname called the hammer. Because he brought the hammer on anybody that would defy the Jewish community. Who would stop them from worshiping Yahweh, their God from practicing the Torah, from practicing the Jewish rituals and traditions, Judas Maccabeus brought the hammer and defeated the Syrian empire. And when Judas Maccabeus came back into Jerusalem 150 years before Jesus did, the people brought out palms that, that represented peace because they had peace, victory because they were victorious, and they laid it out for a king. Named Judas Maccabeus, the hammer. And so Judas Maccabeus came riding into Jerusalem on a horse, on a stallion, victorious over battle against the Syrian Empire. And the people were in awe, saying, God, thank you for Judas the hammer who brought us freedom again. Here's some palms to usher your own way out of honor, out of respect. And so, combine those two elements together. Number three, the people may not may not have understood who Jesus was, but they knew this: that Jesus did miracles, that Jesus was powerful, that Jesus healed, that Jesus provided. And so. Again, the Jewish people were under Roman occupation like they were under Syrian occupation like they're uh, generations before, 150 years later. And so to them, no brainer. I'm going to put palms under uh, the walkway of Jesus because Jesus is going to do exactly what the hammer did, Judas Maccabeus, and overthrow the Roman Empire with force, with might, and become victorious. They saw Jesus as the the hammer who would bring out punishment to those who defied the Jewish people and the Jewish God, Yahweh. And so you you can just imagine the thousands of people that were gathered around Passover was waiting for their Messiah to come with vengeance. And as they were ushering him in, there was probably also some side chatter. Wait, wait a minute. What is he riding on? A donkey? That is not fit for a hero, a warrior. A person who's gonna overthrow this violent regime. Wait a minute, he's not riding in this symbol of victory and power. He's riding in on a. Is that a donkey? Something that represented of humble beginnings, of gentleness, of, get this, of peace. I mean, their whole world was probably flipped upside down at the worst, at the least, just really confused. They're expecting a warrior with a, with a sword to come with vengeance to overthrow a government. And yet, he This is supposed to be our hero, our king, on a donkey? And and what he's essentially saying is, I come to bring peace? Well, they don't want peace. They want violence. They want to be punitive. They want to bring upon pain to the people that have occupied them and treated them so poorly. And yet Jesus comes in a very upside-down kingdom, in a very shocking and unexpected way, on a donkey, is what it says in verse... Because people said, Hosanna. But I would imagine they would say Hosanna in a bit of a confused way because Hosanna literally means save us, save now from this evil that we're experiencing. And yet Jesus comes in a very unexpected way. With peace. And I love how Jesus comes in on the donkey with humility, with gentleness, with peacefulness in mind. Jesus knows that on that Palm Sunday, he was walking into Jerusalem, but not just walking into Jerusalem, but walking into the face of evil. The very people that are yelling, Hosanna, God save us, save now, you are the Messiah. This Roman occupation, this hardship, this trial, this tribulation, the hatred that we're experiencing, Jesus, you're going to overthrow them, you're going to punish them, and you're going to bring us and elevate us into victory. Hosanna, God save us. Those are the same people in the later chapters that would scream, crucify him. Crucify him. And so Jesus knew that as he was walking in on a donkey, he was not just walking into Jerusalem, he was walking into his death, experiencing and will experience more evil around him that is spiritual, that is physical, that is supernatural. And yet Jesus walks in peacefully on a donkey anxiety down, in love, in gentleness, in confidence. Because even when he was praying Gethsemane, he knew that this was going to happen. He says, God, Father, would you remove this cup from me? In other words, would you change what is about to happen? But if this is your will, God, Father, I'll trust you. I'll trust in the resurrection. I'll trust that you'll defeat and conquer evil, and I will be victorious. And so Jesus, with that confidence and faith, walks into Jerusalem, his impending death, knowing and having faith that God is with him, that he would not fall for the temptation as he didn't fall for the temptation in chapter 3 in the wilderness, that God has not abandoned, that God is with and God is for And so many of us, may you know that God is with you, that God has not abandoned you. That as we go into the forces and the realm of pain and hurt and evil, again, defined in so many different ways, that we would walk in in confidence, not being tempted that God has abandoned us, that God is with us, that God is for us. And I think in so many different ways that that changes everything. Sure, the, the circumstances may not change. The hardships, will they might be there. But what's interesting, this is what Tim Mackey says. Uh, he's uh, the, CEO, the executive director for Bible Project, scholar, theologian. He says that trials and tribulations, they aren't uh, evidence that God has abandoned us. In fact, the very opposite, that God has drawn nearer to us, that God has drawn closer to us. And so when we experience evil, when we see evil, when evil is done to us, when hardships and tribulations and uncertainties and anxieties and addictions and pain and whatever comes our way, know that God isn't far, that God is even closer that God sustains us as we walk into that space, that season, that chapter. And I love in Psalms 23, verse 4, and many of us have heard this before. The verse says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Some of us, we will be walking through our darkest valley, through our desert. Many of us are in that right now. Many of us see it in front of us knowing that it's something that we'll have to walk into. Do not be tempted that God has abandoned you. And may we go in with this attitude as Jesus did so calmly into his death, knowing that God will be victorious over sin, over evil, over pain, That's what the resurrection is all about. Evil is not a sign that God has abandoned us. It's a testament that God comes even nearer to us. And so again, even though I walk through the valley, even though I walk through the darkest valley, and you can even fill in the blank, even though I walk through or will be walking through, you fill in the blank. Pray this, I will fear no evil. For God, you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness, I love this, your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So may we go to the cross. May we follow Jesus to the cross as we walk into our own evil, our own darkness, our own valleys, our own deserts, knowing that God has not abandoned you, that God is for you, that God loves you, And so maybe the practice this week as I invite the worship team back up, the practice is, God, give me faith that you're with me. God, that no matter what comes my way, you love me, you're for me, and you walk with me. And because of that, I will fear no evil. Maybe sometimes that kind of faith is even hard to to grasp. And so maybe our prayer is, God, God. Would you even just give me the, I don't believe right now. I don't, I've actually fallen into the temptation that you have abandoned me. But God, give me the strength to get back to what is true. That you're with me, that you're for me. You have not left me. I will fear no evil. And so, in just a second, I'm going to have us come to the table. And the table is for everybody. We take this cup and this bread that symbolizes Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. This is us saying, yes, I hold on to the hope that I have in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as we go into this holy week, knowing what's going to happen. But remember, before there was a resurrection, there was a death. And what's interesting is, I re- this is almost a confession, I, I drove in here, and oftentimes I drive listening to the Christian radio station. Hey, and no, no shade on the Christian radio station. Sometimes I have a hard time with it. But I listen to it on my way to church because it's kind of like my, it's like it pumps me up, my sermon, yeah, casting crowns or whatever. But the, the news, the, the, the DJ, the DJ, the, the disc jockey whatever, it says sometimes a resurrection, before resurrection And life, it always begins in the darkness. Resurrection, life, always begins in darkness, in a tomb, underground like a seed, like a baby in a womb. And many of us were experiencing that underground, that darkness, but know that Easter is all about that resurrection, the light that comes. But may we sit for just a second With the pains and the experiences that we're having with evil. Knowing that as we partake in the Eucharist, in the Lord's Supper, that Jesus gave his life so we may be victorious over what is ahead of us. So here's what's gonna happen. We're going to stand in just a moment, we're gonna sing. But as you feel led, would you come and would you take this cup? And would you hold on to this cup? Don't take it together. Or sorry, don't take it immediately. Sit down with it. Pray if you have to. Hold on to it as we sing. And at the very end, we'll take of this together. Let's continue in worship. Let's receive this communion when you're ready.